0: Hi everyone and welcome to Hit The Apex. It's the hangover edition following the triple header. We've had back-to-back-to-back weeks of F1. And finally, we can go into the weekend with a bit of a break. Not that we uh, don't like F1, but, uh, yeah, three weeks in a row does get a bit too much. And, yeah, it's, I guess, as we said, the hangover edition. So thanks for joining us again. My name is Juad, joined by Baden. And, yeah, it does feel like a bit of a hangover, you have to say. Three back-to-back weekends of F1, a lot of championship-changing outcomes from those three races. And now, I guess, time to reflect on not only the British world but just the triple header as uh, on its own.
1: As far as hangovers go, it's probably not the the worst fallout, certainly of that uh, three-peat. The, the last one there on Sunday night, Silverstone, probably took the cake as, as a spectacle. It just really had everything you could <laughs> ask for and uh, wouldn't be F1 without drama when title battles reach fever pitch.
0: Yeah, it did reach fever pitch at Silverstone over the weekend, especially with uh, the Silver Arrows and the Lewis Hamilton juggernaut brought to its knees, I guess, at Silverstone. You know, we talked about pre-race how it was a fortress for those guys, you know, with Mercedes having won five races in a row from 2013 and then uh, for Lewis Hamilton, four in a row. So, yeah, to see that run come to an end, and given how Saturday went with qualifying and that epic lap that Hamilton sort of pulled out of nowhere to claim pole position by probably the faintest of margins, um, yeah, you know, it's pretty it's pretty uh, big the fact that, yeah, they sort of threw it away, you could say, uh, on Sunday.
1: As much as Ferrari at previous circuits have asserted itself, um, look at uh, Azerbaijan or, or Canada really strongholds in the past for... Mercedes, this one just has such a, a stigma to it. I guess just the fact that it's Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton's notionally home event. As much as Mercedes is German, they're they're based and have been in their heritage for for decades, really. So um, for them, it was as much as the the next race in Germany will be um, on home turf, and it, I think uh, caught a lot of people off guard, and, and just coupled with what happened on the first lap, it really um, added a bit of a sting to the tail, and you could see that a nothing that Ferrari did which made it a, a victory which they um, had just fallen to their lap. They absolutely executed to precision and and full credit to them. Yeah, so we'll
0: come to the first lap in a moment, but yeah, Sebastian Vettel winning his fourth race of the season. He went on to equal Alan Prost's uh, career tally of 51, point, uh, 51 race wins too, so great Job there for for Seb, and then extends his title uh, lead out to eight points now as well. So um, big weekend, and I guess you could say per- perhaps one of the big winners from this triple header, Sebastian Vettel and Ferrari, which will come to towards the end there. But uh, yeah, Lewis Hamilton had pole, but he lost it going into turn one, just a bit of an overambitious start, you could say, from uh, the man on home soil. Then he became entangled with Kimi Raikkonen at turn three and ended up having uh, spun dropped to the rear of the field. Kimi Raikkonen given a 10-second stop-go penalty, which he had to serve at his first pit stop. But then we saw a recovery drive, a remarkable recovery drive at that from Lewis Hamilton. But it's what was in the postscript, I guess, that um, really caught everyone off guard and really left a bit of a sour taste, I guess, in everyone's mouths following what was a really, really uh, epic race to watch. Um, The fact that uh, Lewis Hamilton didn't even uh, stand by for those Park fermé interviews and had to be interviewed on the podium by martin brundle separately he claimed that he was a bit too tired a bit too exhausted uh but all we know that there was a lot of emotion there the fact that he came out and said that uh, interesting tactics from the uh, other team referring to ferrari and just basically blaming them for you know uh intentionally trying to crash into him on the first lap and cited that, yeah, what happened in France as well with uh, Vettel going into Bottas, that that was intentional to try and take one of the Mercedes out in the race. So, yeah, let's uh, delve into that straight away.
1: Yeah, you got to look at each incident objectively and uh, certainly at France when you look at the, the way that uh, Vettel had his... Collision with Bottas there he was pinched by both Mercedes and that the very barest of lockups into what is an extremely uh, abrupt first corner you could say so it was very marginal really if he was even in the wrong it was just the positioning of each car Bottas on the uh, outside in that case and on this occasion it was Hamilton on the outside into a, a right hander and he himself uh, ran wide and and. Kimi um, Räikkönen similarly but a bit more overtly locked the brakes and, and from there a collision was almost inevitable. I don't think you could have said Ferrari went in from whatever, turn 80, went straight through the pits just with a bullseye painted on Hamilton as though that was premeditated off the line and uh, it's just ludicrous to think that they're actually... Ferrari in the heat of a championship battle, that's their intention to just wipe out its opposition rather than going about its own job. Yeah, given that, you know, uh, Raikkonen was then given that 10-second penalty, despite
0: many saying that, um, you know, it's on the first lap, Could have been just classed as a racing incident, you know, if the stewards were being fair, same with what happened in France. But then, you know, you've got on the other side of the spectrum the uh, inconsistency with the penalty, the fact that... uh France Vettel only got a five-second penalty, and then ten seconds for Raikkonen for hitting Hamilton. And uh, controversial, as he is, Jacques Villeneuve has said that you know the reason why Kimi got ten seconds was because it's Hamilton he hit. So suddenly penalties are going to be judged on who you hit rather than the severity of what the uh, the crime was. Let alone there actually being a crime, because we could argue, yeah, it was a racing incident on the first lap. Uh, the fact that you know there was really nowhere to go for Kimi, there's other cars around him, and it was just an unfortunate circumstance that it had to had ha- had to happen. And what you said too, the fact that you know they didn't come off the line intent with the intention to take out Lewis Hamilton. I mean, what is this? Uh, you know, dodge them cars or whatever, where, you know, let's take out the other guy for the sake of the championship. I mean, we're not even halfway through, yet, you know, uh, some people have come out of the woodworm and said, oh, this is
1: the the tactics that the other team's using, which just, there's no basis to it. The proof will be in Germany if by chance it comes to pass that Hamilton runs into Vettel and he's only issued a five second penalty then there's going to be serious oh, questions there would be us. no penalty there would be no penalty issued because it'll be Vettel on his home turf and Hamilton running into the hometown it'd hero. be it'd be a racing incident basically and so no, that's the case the pitchforks can come out well and truly but
0: regardless of that you know with all that and then afterwards of course um, in the Park for my interviews. Kimi Räikkönen did apologise, said that you know he took full responsibility for it, uh, and which I thought was the right thing to do, given the fact that you know uh, Kimi, a lot of people criticise him for his character and everything, but he's a racer, a, a proper racer through and through, and he realised that he was at fault for it. He accepted the responsibility, perhaps uh, more so than he should have done. I think I think he took too much of the blame on himself, but he did a good job. He was humble about it, and it was just. I know the emotion is there post-race immediately and for Lewis being a home race and everything, but you don't just go out and say things like that, oh, you know, it was intentional. And then given the fact that the team as well, Toto Wolff who's normally so, I guess, not unemotional, but he's so diplomatic about things that he almost backed up Lewis Hamilton's claim say that James Allison's words were that it was either intentional or stupid so around those lines so even the team was backing up Hamilton with those claims
1: yeah i think when the entire party is uh, concurring on on that idea that it was um i guess in those those words that it was incompetence so said James Allison if you believe Toto Wolff Perhaps ironically, through his chief aerodynamicist under the bus there, and only about a month after he had already uh, come out and said he wasn't happy that Allison had been pointed out as, as the one raising those concerns about Ferrari's design tactics, it, uh, it's a bit of a a humorous um, back, um, what do you call it, after story, I guess, in in this particular instance. But for Mercedes, I think it's part of the bigger picture, it shows that when they've all um, put their cards on the table like this, they're really starting to feel that pressure, which Ferrari's applied in almost anonymous fashion. They haven't won every race, but they're just... uh, A lot more clinical and and around the park, unlike previous years when a a complete stuff up and they're they're nowhere to be seen, at least this time they're they're salvaging points when things aren't going their way and as a result they they lead both standings and convincingly so. But, you know, as you say, in applying it in an anonymous fashion,
0: like, that could go back to the pre-season as well, where there wasn't really a lot of hype building around them, there wasn't a lot of noise coming out of the Ferrari camp, and then, of course, controversially, they've had this media ban on personnel, you know, like, media's not allowed to interview anyone, they only communicate via uh, very vague press releases and all that sort of stuff. So just keeping the cards close to the chest and perhaps getting on with the business and just focusing on that sort of stuff has probably done them better this year for it and you so rightly wrote about Mercedes perhaps showing those signs of cracking under the pressure like we could add to that that uh, what happened in Austria for example too with uh, James Vowles being thrown under the bus as well the fact that you know rather than showing the composure that in that sort of situation where yes uh, a mistake was made, and Lewis Hamilton was arguably cost a better re- had been cost a better result. Well, he retired anyway with a mechanical failure. Um, you know, usually you wouldn't see that from a team of Mercedes standards. So you know, it's two races in a row. You could say that they've shown those kind of uh, those frailties, and yeah, it's cost them a lot of points.
1: And yeah, you can just see from. Mercedes, and if you're compassionate for a moment, they are frustrated that they've lost a potential one to at at France, but you can't argue at Britain the way that it um, unfolded. Those multiple safety cars undoubtedly helped Hamilton's cause, but I think his fans they um, are quite happy to erase that idea that he had the poor getaway and could have fallen to Aslo as fourth if Raikkonen had have cleanly overtaken him into turn Three there, but they're all convinced that it was a, a certain fate accompli that their man was going to win the race, as though it was like Vettel somehow fluked into a, a very lucky win by fault of what happened with with Raikkonen and Hamilton when he was already well into the distance by
0: then. Yeah, well, you forget the start that Hamilton did have, and he dropped, I think, two positions on the start, maybe three positions, and of course, being entangled with Raikkonen. So, yeah, he shouldn't have been in that position in the first place, but that was of his own doing. I guess that was a penalty for having that poor start on his behalf. But anyway, after uh, we saw... Hamilton start his recovery drive. Kimi had to serve that 10 second penalty. Um, Hamilton ended up catching the top five after that first round of pit stops. We had, uh, the safety car come out for the first time on lap 33 because Marcus Ericsson went into the wall, uh, just off Abby. That corner seen quite a few crashes over the weekend. So, you know, another nasty one there for Ericsson bad day for Sauber, which we'll get to later anyway. So, uh, Ferrari ended up double stacking again under the pit stop. Uh, Which... Work to their benefit Fresh tyres of course Max Verstappen came in as well uh, Whilst Bottas led the re- uh, led the race Sorry on the medium tyre Hamilton was up there too But then little did we expect A second safety car to come on lap 38 With a uh, Roman Grosjean and Carlos Sainz Both crashing out I think at the same corner That Ericsson crashed
1: too So I oh, know that was on the um, I think that was on the back straight On the back straight crashed. okay, the old, yeah. the old turn one you could call it Going into the old turn one So yeah
0: there you go but um, that was pretty nasty as well, and I guess uh, I don't know who to blame for that one just yet. I think it might have been a racing incident, but uh, Grosjean, you could say, after being hero in Austria, coming back down to zero and Haas getting a bit frustrated, of course, as well throwing away that excellent quality result with both cars in the top 10 once again. Yeah. I, think,
1: <clears throat> I think it's reached a point for Grosjean where... Um, he's run out of his nine lives and the Wolves are circling, whether it's a Leclerc or even talk of maybe a Perez, if Force India were to fold, then Grosjean's really got to be uh, quite clinical in the back half of the season. Well, it won't be Santino Ferrucci, that's for sure, but Mm. we'll come to that a bit later. Uh, So, yeah, with that second safety
0: car out, I guess there was no opportunity for Mercedes to make that second pit stop under the safety car because without losing track position which you know again you know they could have pulled the trigger when Ferrari pitted and decided to get their guys in for that free pit stop under the first safety car but yeah no chance to do that without losing track position under pressure from Ferrari once again but this I guess resulted in a what we had an awesome four-way wheel-to-wheel battle between Bottas in the lead with Vettel and then Lewis Hamilton, Kimi Raikkonen so positions one. To to four, all just battling wheel to wheel, it was so epic when you saw it on track, uh, Vettel ultimately made the lunge going into Brooklands on lap 47 to take the lead from Bottas, Bottas's tyres basically shot, uh, ended up having to concede that second place to his teammate, and then of course Kimi on the fresher tyres too was able to come back and take third from Valtteri, so again Valtteri losing out there sadly, but uh, yeah, you know that was I think three, four laps worth of just wow you know, you just did want to take your eyes off the screen at that time.
1: Yeah, as enticing as that uh, sight was, it does make you wonder if Mercedes had perhaps uh, pitted both cars, if not split the strategies. He might have had Bottas there back in fifth, but on um, superior rubber, whether he could have had a a run to the line, and as it was, he did well probably to hold Vettel off for several laps after that second safety car, but uh, as soon as that happened, he's his day was done and it was a shame to see him, yet again it's been the story of his season essentially, he ends up at the the bottom of the pack out of almost not just Ferraris and Mercedes but now behind the Red Bulls and you just can't take a trick this season.
0: Yeah, unfortunately that's the case but a win should be uh, sooner, should come sooner rather than later for the Austrian Grand Prix pole sitter that is as well but uh, he would have picked up a couple of positions as you say in hindsight if he had uh, gone on an alternate strategy and get the the soft tires on perhaps in that last stint or whatever because we had max verstappen drop out of the race with a mechanical failure he was battling with his own teammate of course daniel ricardo and i think they actually had a bit of a clash uh with, with dan coming home fifth in the end of course and then max earlier on was battling with kimmy i mean I, I think you were commenting on how max again just pushing the limits again, ba- battling Kimi, but Kimi kept his cool and was able to get past no problem and uh, end up on the podium, while Max, of course, again, going from hero in Austria to zero in uh, in Britain with uh, the retirement. So
1: You can see as well, uh, you consider Renault after that. That upgrade the previous race for Holkenberg, and then later on Ricardo and then you've got seven days later Max Verstappen. That clearly they've got some issues there to, to rectify. As much as on any given race, they might um, they might have a good package all around, say a Red Bull, or, or it just suits the characteristics um, of their car or for Renault. But uh, when it doesn't, it seems as though they've they've got a still a fair bit of work to do. And I I don't know when you look at it in that long-term picture in Season 5 of the hybrid era, they're, they're clearly um, third cab off the rank. Now, the talk is really whether Ferraris usurped so Mercedes with the, the most power. Yeah, well, that's probably, um, the you could say, uh, it looks like it is the case now with Ferrari
0: being the benchmark uh, in that sort of battle. But don't rule out Mercedes just yet, you know, they could be perhaps one upgrade away from being back on par with Ferrari, of course, but, you know, Ferrari have just done... I mean, we'll talk about it in a week or two's time when we look back at the first half of the season that they've just... Knuckle down and done a phenomenal job this season not only with the power unit but with the chassis as well the fact that you know it seems to be working around every circuit this year last year they sort of started to get the trick around the circuits that Mercedes had dominated for a long time and this year as you said you know places like Montreal now Silverstone which have been Mercedes strongholds they've come and conquered and mm. even um, Austria they were stronger than they were last year and of course Red Bull won that race in the end but if Red Bull were there, you know, you could have seen Ferrari definitely get the jump.
1: And you'd rather than trade off uh, superiority at circuits like Monaco or Hungary to have an all around package where s- something like an Azerbaijan, Canada, Belgium, Italy, and they can really take it to Mercedes, who have just dominated that really uh, since 2014. And that, that's when they're going to get the, the huge bundle of points, if not be right. Um, um sniffing down their their necks, I think. So you can see that uh that, that coupled with what's happened, those sentiments from The Mercedes crew, that um, they're under siege in all departments. Yeah, definitely, and I guess those races, as you said, Spa Monza coming up
0: after the season mid-season break, they're going to be really telling for Ferrari if they can win. If not, both of them, one of those Grand Prix at least, which you'd hope is Monza for the sake of the tifosi,
1: and we hope Um, maybe Belgium for a certain uh, Kimi Raikkonen. Yeah, given that
0: you know every year we tip Kimi Raikkonen to win that race, and it just doesn't come to to pass. But hopefully, if you. You know, it's going to be his last year this year. You hope that that would be the case. But uh, let's have a look anyway at the best of the rest. And Nika Hulkenberg, you mentioned him before. He didn't finish in Austria, but he was sixth this time out for Renault, uh, given that he was a sole finisher for the French team. Science crashing out with uh, uh, Grosjean earlier. Then we had Esteban Ocon and Sergio Perez, uh, both scoring points for Force India, of course. Perez getting promoted into the points just after the end of the race because a time penalty was applied for uh, Pierre Gasly because he I think did I think he might have did a legal overtake on Checo to begin with so yeah uh, Gasly demoted from 10th to 11th and of course Checo brought up into tenth, so solid for Force India once again. Fernando Alonso with a typical Fernando Alonso drive to P eight with uh, points there, and only the the only point scorer for McLaren once again. So you know. It's hard, you know, when we look back at the winners and losers from this triple header, one of the big losers, definitely McLaren, who went from being, I think, fifth in the constructors, dropping down two positions with the fact that Haas have come up and that of course, Force India have been firing as well.
1: Yeah, couple of that with Eric Boulier's departure prior to Britain, and you can see that the pressure's rising with each race on Stoffel Van Dorn, who's really been completely off the the map this season and last year he could be forgiven but this year it seems as disgruntled as Alonso might be that Van Dorn just seems to be stuck in this first gear often out in Q1 and in the races even with this higher attrition he still seems to be squabbling for a, a 12th or 13th so he needs a, a good couple of um, solid races in the back half of the season if he's going to shore up a, a third season with with McLaren otherwise his future might be elsewhere as a shame as it would be to say when he entered and everyone had such huge hopes for him
0: yeah it's really difficult to watch Van Dorn this season because you know given the hype that he came into F1 around you know said that he could be the next Alan Prost for example and just seeing how the way that this season not only just for McLaren but for him as well you know you'd think even if the team's having a difficult season that at least individual performances from the driver can go a long way to making at least his season a lot better than it is, so... The fact that he hasn't done that is just making it really difficult for him to, to perhaps retain that seat for next year. And given Lando Norris's popularity as well, other teams have tried to poach him, even though he's still fighting in F2 this year, uh, shows that he could be one that um, you know McLaren have got to promote sooner rather than later if they're to keep
1: him in-house. And there's a bit of talk as well that even a, a Carlos Sainz could be parachuted in if uh, Renault were to say... Uh uh, acquire Esteban Ocon on loan from Mercedes after they've taken on board the Red Bull affiliated signs. So you could see a little bit of a switcheroo there and that, that would be interesting to see uh, another Spaniard who knows if Alonso will be there but uh, could have two Spaniards at McLaren if he were to stay on. Yeah it's a bit of a poison chalice at the moment the
0: McLaren seat you know I guess Daniel Ricciardo perhaps linked with it earlier on in the season but you know given the fact, the, given the situation that they're in it's perhaps not the not the seat that everyone will be jumping at uh, immediately and you know you talk about oh, whether it's a, a team that perhaps in the long run could be better off the fact that you know they need a team builder and the team which Alonso is trying to do but then it's just not really working from management at the moment, so yeah, that's going to be something to, to look at or whatever and see who's going to be there next year, because it, it really is a bit of an unknown at the moment, but uh, keeping it on the British Grand Prix anyway, Magnussen, as we said, was the only point scorer for Haas after Grosjean's crash, as I said, you know, they had a solid qualifying with both cars in the top 10, and then just thrown away again by Grosjean, so, you know, there's just... You know, given where they are still in the uh, constructors standings, they're fifth at the moment behind Renault. If we haven't, if Grosjean was able to score points regularly, because he only scored his first points, of course, in Austria. If he had scored points in every race like Magnussen has, then you know th- he could they could be just up to par with Renault or even higher than Renault in the constructors in fourth. So it's it's a lot of shoulda, coulda, woulda. Uh, talk you could uh, talk about with Haas, but yeah, they really have come on fire during this triple header.
1: Yeah, and it's kind of the uh, juxtaposition that is Haas. They've never really cleanly executed uh, since um, debuting in 20, 2016, the oft-touted one-car entry they had that first season um, when they, they really just had this uh, almost ghost of, of some sort of... Um, you could say child that was uh, maybe floating around the garage just prone to outbursts um, every so often when things didn't go his way and then the other one in Grosjean and he's almost devolved into this so-called ghost and and barely a presence on track and it's Kevin Magnuson doing all the heavy lifting And, and you've got to wonder if say a Charles Leclerc were to um, maybe uh, have a, another 12 months just to um, prepare himself for the inevitable Ferrari drive that would make a lot of sense so I wouldn't be surprised at all if if anyone if Grosjean's finally giving his marching orders that um, Leclerc and Magnussen that would be quite a fearsome combination or
0: even a Perez and Magnussen as well of course you know the uh two McLaren rejects of course uh, end up in the same team together that'd be a, a pretty what do you call it lethal combination uh, there at Haas but I guess you know we can only hypothesize and uh play Nostradamus with what's going to happen with those seats next year of course but uh, I guess we mentioned it earlier too, great pace from Sauber, was unrewarded of course with the dual retirements Ericsson we detailed, he crashed Uh, Charles Leclerc with the tyre failure, you know, just as soon as he came out of the pits, he's on the radio it's like guys, I think there's a problem and yeah, you know, from there basically it's uh, it's game over, so that was a bit sad for Sauber and it's good to see as well that, you know, they're being disappointed Disappointed by these sort of results because you know when they've got the pace to score points on both cars not only just one you know it makes these retirements a lot more painful so you know they're a team to look out for over the next few races because I reckon they'll be able to score perhaps more regularly regular points than you know someone like Toro Rosso who again Brendan Hartley had a horror of a weekend he had a huge crash in qualifying of course then couldn't even make the start of the race because they took too long to change his power you know there was just a lot of repair to be done to that car so yeah Addis Horribilis continues for Brendan Hartley.
1: Neon Salva, first of all, you've got to wonder if they sustain this development curve. They they could get to the end of this season and they're legitimately in a place to maybe snag a top five or a a sixth, maybe two cars getting some solid points. They seem like they're, they're not so reliant on circumstance. They're just genuinely uh, closer to that Q1 or ballpark top of Q2 most weekends. And, and Marcus Ericsson always flying under the radar. And he made an honest error on on Sunday. But you can see that, that they've got some confidence there. And whatever happens for Charles Leclerc, Sauber itself is going to have benefited from his own input. And it's just given them that, that swagger that they've been uh, without for probably since 2012. Again, when they had that great run of of podiums, so who knows where they'll they'll shape up in the constructors? But certainly, uh, McLaren will be wondering if they're going to be under threat sooner than than later. If Alonso is only able to scrape in two or four points here or there, and and now down to Toro Rosso, who've been really um after what we saw at Bahrain with that fourth, and then maybe a sixth again for Gasly at a uh, Monaco, they've really not done a, a hell of a lot. And you've got to say for Hartley, um, he's really um been done over, and as much as the talk is that his career will be limited to this season, he hasn't had much of an opportunity to show his hand. No, not
0: really, and I guess we can just emphasise that over and over again, the fact that, you know, I guess if he was given the opportunity proper, that, you know, it could be a lot better than it is he's a capable driver he's a multiple world champion he's won big race some big races in the past but you know just where he's at with Toro Rosso it's it's a bit sad and he's got the experience he's not a rookie as such you know he's an experienced driver and I'm sure he'll be giving a lot of valuable feedback back to the team with the development and with Honda of course as well but again, you know, it's just like, you know, you want to see some good results if it's a results-driven business. And if results is what's going to get him a seat next year again with Toro Rosso, then, you know, he's got to be given those results.
1: Yeah, I think that um, back half of the season, you've got to hope that um, you've got the news now that Red Bull's going to be with Honda. So whether that somehow fast track some sort of focus towards 2019 as far as trialing components and they've got to write their entire season off from from this point or maybe they they find some solutions in that summer break that Hartley at least gets a clean run for a few races so he so he doesn't leave F1 on a sour note
0: yeah exactly so that's I guess it for the British Grand Prix but just to finally bring up that uh you know Ferrari perhaps the biggest winner of this triple header. They've got a 20-point lead now in the Constructors' Championship, and Nice to point out, too, that Kimi Räikkönen's been on the podium for all three races in back-to-back weekends, so, you know, he's collected the most points, if you will, of anyone in the triple header. Sebastian Vettel, of course, t- two times on the podium, and then, of course, uh, Mercedes having that DNF, double DNF in Austria would have cost them a whole lot, so, yeah, big winners there, and Kevin, Magne- Kevin Magnuson, sorry, best of the rest, in seventh in the driver's championship as well so well done to him and then we already said Haas uh, into what do you call it into fifth in the championship as well
1: yeah you can see for the Kimi Raikkonen he's so maligned he has uh, two or three great races and one qualifying or, or a race and suddenly it's like oh he's a relic he should have been gone five years ago but the truth is he's be, been unlucky probably not to have won a race two or three times this season just like his compatriot in Bottas so again we, we raise it every edition that um, for a while there we probably got a bit despondent that it was never going to happen but at this point you, you're again into that position of wondering not if but when he'll have that breakthrough
0: Yeah, it's very hard, you know, with Kimi, because, you know, you get to stages where it's like, oh, it wouldn't be a bad thing if he retired at the end of this year, but then he goes and does things like he has over the past three weeks, and then it's just like, oh, you know, perhaps we could deal with another year of him being on the grid you know I mean either way like if he leaves we're gonna miss him regardless he's such a great character to have around the sport the Iceman of course but at the same time like if he's just be if he's not delivering those results or whatever you know he's his teammates won four races already this season in the same car Kimi I guess as you say a bit unlucky with the way things have panned out for him um you know, he needs to, I guess, be able to win at least a race, you know, before he retires for Ferrari, because, yeah, he's not won one since 2013 now, so it's a, it's a long time ago when you look back at it.
1: Yeah, as much as the talk of maybe this will be it for him, I think it'd sit a lot better with all of his fans. If he could just be on the top step once more, that'd be a nice way to sign off.
0: Yeah, nice way to sign off indeed. So, let's talk about driver of the day now. Uh I could have easily said Lewis Hamilton if the fact that he didn't go out and say those things as he did after the race, like he put in a a great drive for recovery to get back to finishing uh, second on the podium at least. But the fact that you know he had to say, "Oh, Ferrari intentionally tried to punt him off" or whatever, it's just like, yeah, forget it because you know. We don't see f- we haven't seen Ferrari do that this year pointing fingers or be petty in that sort of sense, so you know like it's not what something you expect a four time world champion to do and especially at his home race too with all those adoring fans because it then puts that mindset amongst them that yeah the other team are the cheaters
1: that's oh, the paradox of Lewis Hamilton and I think uh, it's probably um, a bit of um, concurring between. Both of us and a lot of fans, as much as they mightn't like Lewis Hamilton as an individual, they appreciate that he's probably the the best driver on the grid and certainly of the generation since the 21st century perhaps and where he stacks up all times is is another debate but he's very questionable when it comes to his persona off the track and uh, he goes and does all these great things behind the wheel and he almost instantly undoes it as soon as he opens his mouth and that's not going to change anytime soon with his current demeanour. Yeah it
0: just seems it's most of it's done for show I guess you know the fact that when he got out of the car after qualifying like yeah he looked visibly shaken as well but I think a lot of you know the panting and the moaning as well just seemed like it was a bit of Hollywood there from Lewis and you know as much as F1 is about entertainment too you like the sport side of it as well you want to see a bit of realism there so you know that's not something I really appreciate either but driver of the day it's hard you know because Seb put in a really good drive to win the race, he made the move of Bottas, even had a neck issue as well for most of the weekend, so, you know, kudos to him for doing that, but I've got to give it to Kimi this time, I I think he's done an exceptional job, not just in this race, but over the past three races as well, to to put Ferrari in a position where, yeah, they're leading the Constructors' Championship, and that's something we've been saying all year, you know, perhaps Ferrari are not going to win the Constructors' Championship again, because Kimi isn't getting the results that uh, they need, so, you know, how in Austria it wasn't a Ferrari, no, sorry, um, how it wasn't a Ferrari 1-2 this time, you know, it's it's a bit, uh, bit silly, but, you know, hopefully we could see that later on down the track where, yeah, we see multiple Ferrari 1-2, so good job to their number two and Kimi.
1: Yeah, I'd have to say, Vettel, for mine, uh, clutch victory, considering he was in duress, particularly on that. Saturday and he came within a, a cat's whisker of pole and that would have been a huge psychological blow to the um, the very temperamental Hamilton. Who knows what his mindset would have been if he hadn't have um, been again lining up first. But it was obviously academic come Sunday and then you see just the way Vettel, he, probably not for the first time you're talking third or fourth time this season he's led when there's been a safety car intervention and had a a China or an Azerbaijan he's ended up uh, being compromised in the the long run but this time he he was patient and he made that move stick and he easily could have butchered it or ended up just P2 and not not capitalized on a day when Hamilton um, I guess as much as he finished one position behind him he wasn't breathing down his neck in a literal sense so you can say that this is one that could be the difference come the end of the season.
0: Yeah exactly so that wraps up the British Grand Prix the triple header and uh, let's move on into the digest now and we mentioned him before Santino Ferrucci well he created headlines over the weekend all for the wrong reasons he's been given a four race ban in the F2 championship because he made multiple hits on his uh, trident teammate Arjun Marty over the weekend, um, and then and he was caught, I think, uh, between the, on the straight or whatever, with his glove off as well, whilst in the car and holding his mobile phone. And you know, uh, big no no, of course that. But just the the way that he went and hit his teammate, just so reckless and endangering and whatnot. But just, I guess. It's sort of, the way it's unfolded, the fact that, you know, other things have come out about his character, his father as well, uh, being involved in this sort of thing, and I think he's basically killed any chance he had of ever going to F1 as well with that, and I'm surprised Haas hasn't already cut ties with this guy. They have. they have. Officially,
1: he's off the books. So there
0: you go, he's no longer a Ferrari junior with a chance to get into the Haas F1 team, so yeah, just... Mm -hmm even though he describes it as a brain fade it was a moment of pure emotion or whatever it just goes to show you that if you go that far that you know this sort of thing could happen and unfortunately <coughs> you're not going to see that with Lewis Hamilton no matter what he says but yeah like there are circumstances for these sort of for this sort of behavior and I'm glad that they've come down hard on him.
1: Hashtag make America great again. Yeah, you it's not going to happen, sorry. The, the talk there, they wanted to, uh, perhaps with the the leverage they believe they have since they run the universe, the Ferrucci's, that they could demand that the, the Trident team run a, a livery inspired behind their political motives to uh, toss out a certain incumbent president so clearly any kind of leverage they thought they had is now non-existent and where whether he can ever cultivate a career in the distant future or not that's something he's going to have to take a, a long time on a lonely beach to um, consider his thoughts yeah exactly so you know great way for
0: them to to exercise that to show that yeah that sort of behavior is not tolerable or accepted whatsoever but uh, we got some news in regards to the future of F1 as well with uh, a lot of meetings going on over the past few weeks and of course those regulations have got to be uh, I guess cemented very soon and could the manufacturers be eyeing a U-turn on 2021 as far as the power unit is concerned because apparently due to the fact there's not been Overwhelming interest from new manufacturers. The current manufacturers are looking at perhaps keeping the current model of power unit with that MGUH uh, on board, perhaps standardizing a couple of the components, but yeah, not getting rid of the MGUH now.
1: Well, it's in tandem with the, the lack of any kind of news about those regulations. We kept thinking that the 30th of June would be the deadline and there's been not a, a whisper in any uh, direction that um, there's going to be some sort of uh, announcement outside of that framework we were given probably in March or April. It was bar eight, I th- think th- it happened. And at this point yeah very little coming from the, the manufacturers and then also the talk that the the current manufacturers are doing what they can to delay any announcements so it gets to a stage where it's too late for anyone to commit even from this late stage two and a half years it seems like that's um, almost um, a minimum to prepare yourself if you want to be competitive and we all know what happened with Honda when they were rushed in prematurely by a certain Ron Dennis and that's clearly taken them years to recover from so uh, in this case it could be a, a fizzer for 2021 being that the revolution it could just be a status quo of say, 2017 being phase two of the hybrids, 2019 we've got this middle ground and that could end up being the most significant change, perhaps with just a few standardised editions from 2021.
0: Yeah, Fizz is probably the word that I was thinking of using. It just seems a bit of a disappointment that uh, given the fact there was so much hype around, oh, there could be new marks looking to get into the sport and whatnot, and now it seems like we're just going to be left with the the incumbent four. So uh, Porsche and Aston Martin have been on those... Uh, meetings that they've had. In regards to the rules for the future, but uh, yeah, it seems like there's nothing really big coming out of there. But perhaps it makes sense with Red Bull's decision to tie up with Honda, perhaps as a as a backup to if uh, you know they don't get that Aston Martin project from 2021. It makes you
1: wonder whether 2020 beyond might be the cutoff when Honda acquires Red Bull if that came to pass. Well,
0: there you go. That's another another possibility there. So yeah, you know, where for the last two years we were thinking 2021 is going to be this, you know. A universally, universe-changing year, it perhaps could just fizzle out to be, as you say, a mere phase two of what we've already got at the moment, so that would be disappointing indeed. Um, another thing that was broached, I guess, was uh, the possibility of perhaps paying points to everybody on the grid, so from one down to 20, uh, 25 points down to one point uh, for the person who finished, finishes last, uh, Liberty looking at the possibility of that i i see that not everyone is for that concept not everyone
1: (laughs) more like one is for it and the other 99 stakeholders no thanks
0: yeah so uh, to me it just sounds like it doesn't sound like a great idea anyway because you know the points at f1 are precious you it's it's i guess Top, t- it went from being top six or whatever to now top 10, and to be in that top 10, a lot of work goes into it. So giving points to everyone that basically sort of waters it all down, basically. Like, you might have teams who don't want to fight for top 10 anymore because they could just accrue points <laughs> over the season.
1: <laughs> what if we get to a point at the finale where all you got to do is coast around dead last 20th, even if you're, the 40 laps down the minimum race distance, and suddenly it's like, ah, oh, well, well done, you're world champion. Yeah,
0: so, you know, like you see in other categories, supercars, where they do have points all the way down to last or whatever. It's a, it's a different kettle of fish. But, yeah, for F1, just, I guess... <coughs> Even extending it to top 15 would be, I guess, watering it down in that sense. So, yeah, keep it as top 10, I'd say.
1: Yeah, I think at that point, you don't want it to be like a NASCAR configuration where, where there's absolutely no incentive to go hard. You just accumulate it. It's got to have a, a line and that exclusivity must must remain there. And, and it's part of the. Where you see the the skirmishes that take place in that midfield and more often than not they sort it out, but it does lead to some good action when it means so much to them when it boils down to that prize money and (laughs) survival ultimately. Yeah,
0: exactly. So keep it as the top ten we say it. Hopefully that'll be the case, so that one person who wants it doesn't get what they want. Yeah,
1: enough said. Yeah,
0: exactly. So let's move it on then supercars of course with uh, the townsville 400 over the weekend uh let's go over the talking points quickly we talked uh, at length i guess about craig lands and how he announced his retirement i guess the farewell tour starts for him uh had started for him in townsville we'll come to that shortly but yeah jb wincup imperious again as he's always been uh ever since we started coming to townsville which was 10 years ago so he's won a race there in each of the 10 editions we've had so far so he won on the first uh on the saturday race of course he got a good run to the checkered flag and then of course being on the podium for the second race too on sunday he's uh Got a 403-point deficit now in the championship standings to Scott McLaughlin, so I guess a weekend that Triple Eight needed, given the fact that they hadn't really won anything since uh, earlier in the season. Well, for WID Cup, it was uh, since uh, Tassie.
1: Well, you can say, history suggests, Triple Eight gets its act together in this mid-part of the season in the run into the Enduro Cup, and they're so clinical at, at that phase in... Most circumstances, and clearly last year, that went a long way for Win Cup towards consolidating his his last gasp title bid, and and you can see that um for for the um the Ford Brigade and DGR team they won't be losing their minds just yet. And Scott McLaughlin, he probably didn't have his best weekend, but he did a good job again to uh, at least uh, pick up those points and he still maintains a, a handy lead
0: yeah exactly we'll come to Scotty in a moment because it was a clean sweep for triple eight uh with Shane Van Gisbergen scoring his first win since Adelaide so since the start of the year he hadn't win a, won a race and uh he won his third race of the year he's uh, solidified third uh, sorry second in the championship as well so faultless drive from Shane uh from pole position but yeah Scotty McLaughlin limitating the damage of course he had pole in the Saturday race, but. Uh, just didn't have the pace to keep up with the triple eight cars and he conceded that yeah that the Ford that he had was just not quick enough all weekend and I guess he took it on the chin but he still bagged a pair of podiums which is good to see too and he started seventh in, on the Sunday race and ended up back in third uh, at the end of the race battling away with Craig Lowndes of course on both occasions so yeah I guess he keeps that lead in the championship but you know it's a classic cat uh, sorry it's a classic case of making the most of the weekends where you're not going to be strong enough
1: and that's the worst that uh, Scott McLaughlin has and it's frightening when he's at his best that he... He really just cleans it all up, and I think he's still going to be the odds-on champion from this point.
0: Yeah, like, given the fact that last year it's something that they've really changed about the way that they go about it this year is the fact that on those terrible weekends or terrible days, uh, McLaughlin has been scoring the points and has been getting those podiums, even though his rivals are winning winning ahead of him. So that's why he's still got that championship lead and by a healthy margin as well.
1: Yeah, and I guess uh, when you look at... uh, Triple eight and where they're at, they tend to have these weekends where when they're on they're red hot, but they've probably been a little bit more inconsistent, maybe uh fifth or sixth thereabouts, not terrible, but they're not quite um getting cars on the the podium each time, and again that they could be the points. Which uh, the way that McLaughlin's going probably will leave it a bit too much out of their grasp, unless they come and sweep all before them during the Enduro Cup. Yeah, well,
0: we've got some key races coming up, of course, Ipswich uh, next weekend, and. The night race in Sydney too, and, which is just a single have, race. Uh, the Bend, is that before? Yeah, the Bend the as well, before the Enduro Cup. So yeah, busy period coming up for the Supercars Championship. Now, we already talked about Leon's earlier, bagged a pair of fourths over the weekend, but ended up in the top 10 shootout too on Sunday. So, you know... He's standing by his uh, retirement decision as well, even though he's showing this good form. But yeah, I guess it's the farewell tour where we'll get to see him go around one last time and uh, hopefully some wins to come out of it as well.
1: Yeah, you'd imagine that the, the way he's going, he's a lot closer than he was in 2017 and any given day there, he's always consistent. Um, maybe the third of the Triple 8s more often than not, but... I think that, again, you'd have to back him as a if nowhere else at Bathurst, he tends to just get everything together.
0: Yeah, he and Stevie Richards at Bathurst, we could probably it's safe to tip them perhaps, but uh, not not quite given the complexity of that race in itself. But yeah, one of the uh, other major talking points to come out of the weekend was uh, the discussion for perhaps changing seasons for the Supercars Championship. What about uh, staging it during the Australian summer? So there was apparently some discussions uh, between supercars officials and stakeholders over the weekend that you know let's change the way the championship or well, when the championship is staged so from 2020 let's have it from september to may so it's held primarily during the summer months here in australia of course dealing with christmas and new year and of course and holding it essentially over two calendar years like we see formula e done um, internationally and of course now the the wec super season as well which will is held over you know one and a half years essentially so you know Given the fact that, you know, in the winter where when supercars is on, it has to contest with rival footy codes such as AFL and NRL for, for uh, viewership. Over the summer, perhaps with cricket, it might not have too much competition. And given the fact that there's not a lot of motorsport on at that time of year as well, perhaps it could be something that works out for those guys.
1: Yeah, the only anomaly will be that it would probably see the the season commence with the enduros as the the first or second round at least, and Bathus would be third at the latest. So that would be an odd one to get the he- uh, the head around, rather than it being almost the uh, the pivotal piece in the championship equation. But I, I guess uh, when it comes to logistics, that. Uh, there's got to be some merit to giving it its own identity there, much like you might see with like the, the NBA did when it seemed to thrive um, more so uh, when it uh, was back in the heyday. I think it used to be uh, the NBL, you mean? Yeah, NBL, of course. Yeah. yeah, back when it was in its pomp in the 80s and 90s. And then the switch around, it probably hasn't been the same. So you've got to wonder for for supercars if it did become a summer sport and perhaps that lull you have in midwinter when they tend to go four or five weeks without a race it'd sit a lot easier if that was the case through maybe mid to late december till mid january when you've got all these other events on to tide you over and they're still going racing all through october november then late january through until um may by which point the footy seasons will be well and truly in action and you've got all the other sports motorsport internationally and that's a natural segue yeah
0: but you know as you said before with perhaps then starting the season with the enduros as well like is there the chance that they might even be a bit uh a bit brave here and move the Bathurst 1000 from its traditional October slot to have it. So it's at the end of the championship, you know. <laughs> have it so, in May, suddenly. <laughs> yeah,
1: have it in the middle of May. So, Well, dare we say, what about a radical idea where they combine it with the 12-hour? <laughs> that would be a ludicrous yeah, thought.
0: Mid, mid, in the middle of, <laughs> uh, in early February, you know, that could potentially be one way to look at it. But anyway, it's, a, it's an idea that was... Uh, brought out over the weekend it's probably something in its infancy but uh you know they've already locked in two of the races for next year with uh, the Adelaide 500 dates confirmed and of course the Australian Grand Prix dates as we talked about last week as well so it means supercars will be on the same weekend there too so you know we'll see what the calendar looks like for 2020
1: when it comes to next year yeah still plenty to play out another season at least so um (coughs) Sure, the way they go, they take their time getting the uh, the announcements out for the calendar, so we probably won't know more for another couple of months at least on next season, much less 2020 and beyond. Yeah, exactly, and all the races that are yet to be officially
0: confirmed as well, as far as being on the calendar still. So that's all for supercars anyway, as before we wrap things up sporting our sporting moments of the week and uh you know this week it's really hard to go past uh, we had the final state of origin game on last night and for me it's really hard to go past uh, the individual that is Billy Slater, the fact that he played his last game in Origin last night, he got to be farewelled as the captain too with Greg Inglis out with injury for that final game and yeah, to send him out on a winning note as well with Queensland prevailing 18-12 to to deny New South Wales that uh, series sweep.
1: It was probably an appropriate scoreline which summarised um, how close the series was with Queensland having its moments of brilliance but on a sustained level New South Wales were all around just a bit too good and they had more than their share of moments last night but Queensland wanted it a bit more uh, home crowd and then to send off such a hero in Billy Slater and that pride to avoid the the clean sweep and they, they ground it out as they'd done so often in the glory years you saw how many times they'd be under siege from a New South Wales team really hungry and they'd stave them off. So this one, at least, it gives uh, Queensland something to work with into 2019 when you can draw a, an almost definitive line now that Slater's the last of that old brigade. And you've probably only got Greg Inglis there who's got any ties and who knows how much longer he, he might have. But I guess if if not last year and then that news with smith on the eve of this year's origin which really took many by surprise i, I guess this signifies the official end of that chapter yeah, it's a significant
0: chapter as that, you know, we look at the names uh, with Cooper Cron, Cameron Smith, Jonathan Thurston, now Billy Slater, you almost forget amongst those guys that Darius Boyd also announced his retirement from rep football as well, will GI hang up the boots as well, given the fact that, you know, he could uh, sort of extend his the life of his uh, club footy career with the Rabbitohs next season, I don't know when he's coming back for them after that thumb injury he had in the last game, so... Um, yeah you know it really is the the end of an era there but um even with all the pomp around uh, Queensland last night with their victory and of course controversially Billy Slater named man of the series for some um, given the fact that he only played two games and New South Wales won the series I guess to farewell the great man it's a it's a great honor for him to win that Wally Lewis medal but um we can't take anything away from New South Wales they've just been the better team all series I like the way the fact that they've just instilled a new culture within that organisation the fact that you know they play for each other rather than the individuals like it was previously and yeah you know it's going to be exciting to see two new teams take the field next year of course with these uh, baby blues of course with that one series win under the belt can they do the same thing again next year where they'll probably face a baby Maroon team
1: It's arguably the bigger question if they can go back to back and show that this will be New South Wales here rather than being a blip and then Queensland renews its effort.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I guess uh, unless you had anything more to add to that one,
1: um, I think we should wrap things up. No, I think that's all from this end. It's been pretty action-packed as usual. It's probably nice to have one where... Where it's all uh, done with and we can all draw our breath after what has been a uh, crazy for two or three weeks.
0: Yeah, the month of June, as it always is. So, thank you very much for joining us. We'll be back next week to preview the German Grand Prix. But, yeah, as far as having a weekend off F1 is concerned, you know, as much as we love it, we do need a bit of time away from it, too. So, thanks, guys, for tuning in this week. And, uh, yeah, we'll have the German Grand Prix ready for you next time. Till then.